Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> We're going to dive back into Mark chapter 4. Apologize for the cough. I did a no-no, Nate. I'm not sure, Nate, if in seminary they taught us what not to drink uh, before you preach, and orange juice was on the top of the list. So what did your pastor do today? <clears throat> no orange juice, no cough. Yeah, no milk. Yeah, this is what you learn in seminary. And so your pastor always goes against the flow and tries to fight the wisdom there. Yeah, I got water up here. Thank you. The Gospel of Mark, the one who does. We have looked at this great uh, epistle, this great gospel more than anything uh, throughout the months, and we jumped back to it after a short series on mental health and, and how we battled that. But it is a joy to be back here in, in this text, uh, having the Word of God being taught to us. And you'll notice in your outline there's only a couple points. I'm giving you a little bit of relief here from seven down to two. Uh, um, and so I want to encourage you that way. The title of today's sermon is The Certainty in the King and His Kingdom. Pretty simple truth today when we think about it. I think even on July 4th we're looking at this, but the exhortation of the Word of God is simple but yet complete and hopeful. Let me begin by reading our scripture that will compose our study, starting in verse 30 of Mark chapter 4. The Word of God reads this. It says, And he said, Jesus said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word, how it brings hope, how it draws a sinner to salvation, how it reconciles man to God. And yet its truth doesn't just stop there. As great as salvation is, your work continues to firmly plan itself in such a way that there is a future for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we long for that day, knowing that you will establish it, just as we saw in the book of Revelation, Father, that how you will reign for eternity. And so, Father, we come to a simple text to, to help us understand, and yet it has so much power to it, to, 
to help us think rightly, especially when life runs amok, when things seem to be spinning out of control and the world crashes in all around us. We, our hope is fixed on Jesus Christ. So be with us as we study your word. May the Spirit teach us and guide us. May you help your preacher. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> as we pick up our exposition in the Gospel of Mark, we, we come to this last parable. If you remember, there were four parables that, that Mark grouped together in this chapter so as to point to the reality of where Jesus Christ and his ministry is. And if you remember if the, the setting and the context, things have been going crazy. Remember, he's down by the cove by the Sea of Galilee. He had, as a matter of fact, had his disciples put a boat in the sea or the lake there so that he could jump in it because the crowds were pressing in on him. And he was teaching them. Of course, you and I both know that the crowd was fickle. They were wanting things for their own selves. They, they saw the many miracles that were happening. Also, in a source of contention was the Pharisees and the scribes. They, they were pressing against Jesus and his teaching. They have already concluded that Jesus is the son of Beelzebub. They, they saw him as the son of Satan. And Jesus teaching and pointing on what seemed why this was, was so important to, to, to help us understand Mark selects this parable so that we can get a grasp that Jesus is not losing hold of the kingdom or his kingship. And this is important. Why? Because everything leading up to this parable, everything that Jesus did and said was in question. Like I said, the Pharisees, scribes, they lined up to accuse him, throw rocks at him, and dismantle everything that he said. They saw him as, as a nobody, a nuisance. We also saw, get this, Jesus' own family coming down to Galilee so as to get him in line. They were questioning what Jesus was doing. And in truth, most people believe that nothing would ever come out of the, of the Lord Jesus and his ministry. There were a lot of more question marks than periods. And it makes sense to us. You think about some of Jesus' beginnings. Looking at his resume, it didn't seem like much was going to happen. Jesus was born, you remember, in a tiny town in Bethlehem where poverty was all around. He was raised in Nazareth. He lived in Galilee. And if you remember what John says in John 7.52, he says the people believe that nothing good could come out of Galilee. He had no, really, family connections. He had no money. He had no support from the religious leaders of the day. Jesus was considered to be a nobody from a nowhere place who they thought would amount to nothing. You think about even as apostles. They were considered as some of the, the lowliest of life, some of the, the dregs of society. His own people rejected him. He was despised and rejected by men. So much so, eventually the Romans would nail him to a cross and buried him in a tomb. 
all seemed lost. And the thought, at least for the Romans and the religious leaders of the day, was, was that Jesus would just fade away. He was a good man, lived his life, and then was gone. Yet you and I both know that there's something great in Christ Jesus. There's something great in who he is and what he did. And the reality is that even today, Christ and Christianity is a force to be reckoned with. For those who name the name of Christ, get this, in just doing a Google search, trying to figure out, now you've got to understand Google, it's not highly scientific, right? But just trying to gab, gather our minds around this and how much Christianity is a force to be reckoned with, if you do a Google search, those who name Christ, and where his name is proclaimed in the church, there's recorded to be, get this, 2.3 billion in Christendom. 2.3. That, that's compared, when you think about Muslims and Islam, they have 1.8 billion in the world. You have 900 million Hindus. You, you have 394 million Chinese who follow their religion. You have 376 million Buddhists. And yet what stands on the top of all that is Christ. The advance of the church overwhelms them all. And let me just say this, that can only be a God thing. Jesus in his parable notes this. Beloved, what we have with this parable is a prophecy of understanding that not all will be lost. This parable reminds us of what is going to happen to the church, though humble beginnings will flourish until Christ calls it home. And Jesus gives us a parable of what will happen and what did happen, all because Jesus Christ came. I mean, you get this. This is almost an exhortation for those who are, are following Christ to, to, to not... Believe what you see. In other words, that, that all, all will be lost. There will be great things coming. I think that's so true for us. When we think about Christ and Christianity, he will win in the end. I got a little sign in my office that, that victory is all his. It's already won. It's not that it will be won. It is already won. And the joy of knowing that Christ sits on his throne and that he will reign for eternity, that he is sovereign, helps the Christian understand that even though when the life gets tough, he wins. He wins. And so for us to get and understand this parable, you, you will understand the significance of, of what he's saying here is that this is church history, over 2,000 years of church history, and it's like a tiny mustard seed that grows. It will start out small, but it will become the largest plant of all. Matter of fact, would you read the book of Acts? And you think about what happens with the church age and what happens. I mean, one day, 3,000 people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think Christ is building his church? You better believe it, right? This truth that we need to hear today is to be an encouragement for our souls. And Jesus was doing that with his apostles and his disciples in light that things are going to get tough, that he will die, but he also will resurrect and he also will sit at the right hand of God the Father, and he will also come back again, and yet the church remains. Now, that gives us great hope, doesn't it not, beloved? I mean, think about this. 
even in the face of a militant Islamic approach that desires to kill all Christians, Christ and his church will prevail. In the, in the face of many false religions and cults that attack and counterfeit the gospel message, the church will prevail. In the face of a rampant, secular, humanistic approach to life and all of its liberal attempts to remove the Bible from life, the church and its truth will prevail. In the face of growing uh, liberal society in America that is intent on removing everything that is righteous and everything that is of Christ, the church, Christ's church, will prevail. And even in the face of a compromising church that is watering down and neutering the word of God, that's stripping away its power, the church of Christ will prevail. Even in the face of all of that, the question, will the church grow? And the answer that Jesus gives us is a resounding yes. Despite all the attacks of the devil, the world, and even failure of the saints, Christ's church will grow. And that's such a beautiful thing to know about it. To see the hand of God, knowing that he is is in control not only of salvation, but the growth of his own institution, which he is the head of. He is the one who adds to the church. He is the one who preserves the church. He is the one who upholds the church. He is the one who protects the church. So much so, listen to what Jesus says to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 through 18. Look at the screen. He said to them, his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I, notice the personal pronoun, Christ says, I will build my church. And the power of, and, and, excuse me, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. You talk about the most encouraging text for a church plan or for any church to, to understand in the midst of adversity, in the midst where the world is, is growing a, a greater hatred for, for Christ and his church and his truth, we have Jesus Christ who is the protector. He assures us he will build his church, and not even hell can overpower it. And so it is in this context of doubt and uncertainty and opposition in which Jesus tells this parable, that we come out of this with, with great hope with a spring in our step and hope in our heart and and, and an understanding that Christ is sovereign. And I don't know about you, there's times like this, when I read a text like this, that we need a text like this. It was just what the disciples needed, and often it's what we need to hear as well. In the parable on the mustard seed, Jesus assures those with ears to hear that the kingdom will progress and the king will reign. What had begun with humble means, the Lord Jesus Christ would continue to grow, to expand to such a degree that all the nations will eventually submit 
to it. That's what I loved about Revelation chapter 21, verse, verse 24 through 27. It says, every nation will come and they will submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, that is such a beautiful reminder of all that God is doing. That every nation, no how strong or powerful they think they are, will submit to the authority of Jesus. That's why culture won't win. That's why the devil won't win. Or any scheme of the devil or the enemy or of the world. Now, how does he give us this assurance, the certainty that his king and kingdom will reign and continue? Well, he simply gives us just two points, right? He tells us the future reality of the kingdom. This is the, the first point, the reality that the kingdom will continue. We pick this up in verses 30, 32. You can look there again, follow along. As I read verse 30, it says, And he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God? He pretty much gives a, a, a twofold question. How shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? Jesus, of course, is speaking to the crowd. Remember, he's in and out of this. He's speaking to those who are his beloved, and yet he's also got the crowd present. But he's speaking to, to, the, to the greater crowd here that has gathered by the Sea of Galilee, and he delivers this truth. Now, if you were to take a step back and look at this chapter as a whole, you know that this is all about parables about a seed. It's about sowing seed. It's about seed growing. It's about seed planted. It's about seed growing and come to fruition. What's interesting about this parable, that instead of the sowing and the planting and, and the reaping of, of, of all that it brings, Jesus brings here a comparison. He contrasts the smallness of a seed with the reality of a large plant, the, the fact of what his kingdom is going to do. And as he's already taught to us in verse 10 and 11, he's already told us that, that he's going to continue to preach to the crowd in parables. Why? Because not only are they obstinate towards his truth, but, but he is going to teach them so that they won't get it. The unbeliever is going, not going to look at this and say, I, I don't understand. But yet Jesus also affirmed, as he will again, even in our text, that he's going to discuss, explain, and make his disciples understand. Understand. So Jesus spoke in parables as to conceal the kingdom to the crowd, but in turn explained it to his disciples and those who follow him. Look how he does this. In verse 30, he provokes their thinking with a two-part question. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? And two, by what parable shall we present it? So clearly Jesus is going to give us a clear understanding of what the kingdom of God looks like. And as with all truth and with all parables, he wants his, his believers to get it. I think it's helpful when we just revisit some of this a little bit as far as definition. When we think of kingdom, remember, we gave you the simplicity of a definition that when we think kingdom, we think two things. We think of people and a place. We think of God's people and the place where he rules and reigns. Throughout Scripture, I think sometimes the simplicity of that, and you can read all kinds of books and all kinds of pages of literature trying to define what the kingdom is, and you'll walk out of that a little bit more confused. 
But the kingdom of God has citizens where a king rules and the people dwell. That is, in essence, the simplicity when we think about the kingdom of God. And right now, the sowing of the seed, the throwing of the gospel, is what produces these citizens. This is how it gets them into the kingdom. Jesus already said that in the parable of the sower and the seed. And then the place, the place is where one day there will be a complete rule where Christ rules for eternity. We read that in Revelation chapter 21, such a key text in our understanding, key chapter. But the God who has his people, and he have a place where he will rule. And it's much comparable like a mustard seed. Now, what's interesting to me as I was studying this, and you kind of see the simplicity of the text, you see it unfold, and then you look to see what other people have said about this. Part of that is just to make sure that you're not going haywire and, and, and opposed to what the interpretation of the scripture that comes out but I was appalled by some interpreters who I would consider liberals who looked at this text as the reason why you should not believe in the inerrancy of scriptures. That the authority of the scriptures are, are, are stripped away because of what is said here in this text. And can you see it? Look at verse 31. Jesus says it's like a mustard seed which is sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that birds of the air can nest under its shade. The liberal looks at that and says, listen, the mustard seed is not the smallest seed known to mankind. And knowing that God cannot lie, knowing that he always tells the truth, you can look at this passage and see that Jesus is, is, is not infallible. And so they give up the authority of the scriptures, but they miss the point. What is Jesus teaching in? He's teaching in a parable. He's giving them a description. And by the way, in Jesus' day, when you were to look into the rabbinic understanding of ancient Near History, you understand that the Jews believed the smallest seed was the mustard seed. And so it makes sense that when Jesus draws them in to help them understand the king of the kingdom, he's taking that which they know and explaining that which is spiritual, eternal. In no way is he giving up his authority, his infallibility, or his inerrancy. And how foolish... Liberals would take this and jettison the Bible. They have other issues. Let me just say this. Liberals are not saved. Liberals are not saved. To call Christ a liar without understanding the context. And even that makes sense to me. Remember when Jesus is teaching that the unbelieving world will not get it? I guess that what confuses me that they even write books about things that they just don't believe. Why do they do that? And how foolish it is for us to buy their books. It would be better used for a fire starter, right? I come across those things. I have a shelf that's ever growing upon my shelf and it's labeled heresy. That's where those books go. 
I point that out there because you might be tripped up in the midst of evangelism, in the midst of apologetics, and defending the faith, and somebody says, see right here? Listen, Jesus is teaching truth, and he's giving them an understanding of the kingdom. He's taking what they know, and it's blasphemy to say that Jesus lied. Context teaches us in Jesus' day that the mustard seed was the smallest seed that they knew. Now, when you think about this mustard seed, how small was it? Some of you maybe have seen that already. It's, it's much like comparable to a grain of sand. We were just at the beach not too long ago, and, and just picking up a sand. Your pastor's mind goes crazy when we, when we go to the beach. <clears throat> I thought to myself, this is kind of a rabbit trail, but the whole issue of when I pick up the sand, what would be more punishment is for to be in prison and have to count every grain of sand that's on that beach. Listen, that was just a quick lesson of saying, making sure I repent and believe, and so then I won't have to count the sand. But a mustard seed, compared to a small grain of sand. However, what is noted about the mustard seed and what Jesus wants to draw out is that this mustard seed can grow to some 15 to 18 feet high. So much so that that Jesus says that, that even the birds find the tree, the plant, as shade from the sun. He's showing comparison of where his ministry begins. And often you see that. Like I say, you read the book of Acts over and over again. You see how the apostles set the world on fire. And you see that you can't say this. You can't say that Jesus' evangelistic evangelism approach was hindered by any means because the apostles succeeded Greatly and more so. That's not the point. The point is, the power of the gospel will go forth. It starts out small. It will grow and continue to be a force where it will end up eternity with him as king. This is what Jesus is trying to encourage us with. Something small becomes something big. Something insignificant becomes something so of great value that the whole world will bow. Something that is unseen will become unavoidable. So in their minds, they knew how small the seed was and what it will become. Just a little bit of side note, mustard seed was used for flavor, used as spices. It was used in paste. And because it grew so big, you think about it, you didn't want multiple mustard seed plants in your garden. Why? Because it would overcome the garden. Matter of fact, towns is recorded that towns would really only have one mustard plant in which the whole town could go and collect its, its, its produce, its seeds to, to put in their paste and sauces. And Jesus says, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Simply this, Jesus is interpreting for us, when we think about the kingdom and his ministry and what's going to happen, when we think about the church, Jesus is saying small, can't, be interpreted 
of what it will be like in the end. You've heard the old adage, don't judge a book by its what? By its cover. Now, just as a footnote, if you look at your, your Bibles, you'll notice that some of your Bibles will have the last part of verse 32 capitalized, which points to a quotation to an Old Testament text. And, and so we would come to understanding that Jesus is drawing this out from prophecies of old so as to give assurance to what he's saying in light of speaking about his kingdom. It's often... Look back to Ezekiel 31, verse 6, where it says, All the birds of the heavens nested in its boughs, and under its branches all the beasts of the, the field gave birth, and all great nations limbed under its shade. Daniel 4.12, its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. Here was another place where the commentators were all over the place trying to figure out exactly what are these birds. Sometimes you see birds as being evil, much like we saw in the parable where the bird, when the seed was thrown on the rocky ground, the bird, what, came down and, and quickly ate it. This is what it's saying. But if you look at scriptures and, and what he's quoting back in the Old Testament, he is saying the fact that the kingdom of God will be give it shade for all the nations to come under. And it reminds us, when we look at Ezekiel, when we look at Daniel, we're reminded of the fact that not only does God have a place for Israel in his kingdom, but he also has a place for Gentiles. And what a joy that is, and he's, he's alluding to that. And as we look as the Gospels and the epistles go, we see exactly that as the Gospel went out for and to the Gentiles. And so what Jesus is doing here is tying the truth of the Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah and his kingdom. And there will be such where there will be shade for, for all other nations. Again, Revelation chapter 21. I mean, this is, this is so beautiful. That's why I read Revelation 21 to you. Just the reality of the fact that every nation will give up its might and submit to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will reign for eternity. What's a quick takeaway from this? I'll give you more at the end, but what's a quick takeaway from this? Listen, not all is going to be lost with Christ and Christianity. You understand that? Don't lose heart, beloved. The king wins in the end, and his church continues to grow, even though every evil thing is pressing against it. The truth should, should put a spring in your step and a hope in your heart. It gives us reason to continue to fix our eyes on Christ, knowing that he wins. Now, moving on in our study, the, there's, a, there, there's a second certainty that Jesus wants us to get out of this text, and it has to do with the reception of his gospel. He reiterates what he's already said in, in, in verse 11, or 10 and 11 of this chapter. Look with your eyes, verses 33 and 34. It says, with many such parables, now this is Mark speaking, with many such parables, speaking about Jesus, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. 
This is Mark's summary of this chapter and these parables that he has chosen and, and which he was called to, to and record, inspired to write and remember and bring before our attention. Why is this significant? Because if you think about it, who is Mark writing to? What's the context? Who is his audience? The audience is for those who are Gentiles in Rome. And he's giving them an understanding. You'll, though Caesar may be your king today, Jesus will be your eternal king. And as Jesus is Lord of your life and Savior of your life, understand that that has the power to not only save you, but reconcile you to his kingdom and put you there. Mark is saying that Jesus is in control, that he is sovereign, and he's telling his believers that you will not be left in the dark. I think one of the beautiful things about the scriptures, when you think about Jesus' death and resurrection and, and all that, was, that surrounds that event and the purpose of why Christ has come, the disciples were disheveled when Jesus died. Matter of fact, Peter does what? He denies him three times. And you read texts like this, and we know what happens to Peter. He is restored to ministry. Peter, of course, he, 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 he repents. He understands the significance of all that Jesus taught. And Jesus is just reminding us, even at the beginning of this, this gospel, that Jesus, his salvation, his truth, his kingdom, and his kingship, will never fade away. Will never fade away. He's telling us the other believers won't get it, but he's going to explain it. And this is the joy of the, the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. We know that when Christ left and had to leave, that the paracleto will come, John 15, 16, 17. He would come and be a helper alongside of us so that we can get this, so that we can understand this. So it makes sense that an unbelieving liberal will look at a text like this and say, oh, there's lies because they won't get it because they don't have the Spirit. And the only way you get the Spirit is by repenting and believing. And in light of that, the Spirit's there is to be a helper to help you understand and illumine the Word of God. Paul shows us that this wisdom that is from Christ. Matter of fact, why don't you turn forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Can we just walk through this a little bit? We have a little bit of time. Turn forward to 1 Corinthians. I want you to see this. This chapter is so significant. And when you think about the, the Corinthian believers and what was going on, Paul was there to, to help them think rightly about Christ and his church and how they function. He was accused as being somebody who was more man-centered than Christ-centered. And, and, and so he just addresses them of, of how he came. And look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but uh, on the power of God. I mean, when Paul preached, he's getting himself out of the way. Remember, he's a studied man. He has a great education. He could wax eloquently the words of the Greek and the Aramaic. And yet he 
remove himself so as not to be in the way of the fact of the power of the God who can change not only his life, but others. Verse 6, yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are, are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I mean, he is marking out exactly what Jesus is marking out, the fact that there are those who will understand and those who don't. Verse 9, but it's just as it's written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Did you get that? God reveals his truth to us through the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God which things we also speak, not in, in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words by the natural man. An unbelieving man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? And Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. I mean, that's the transformation that happens in the life of the believer. Everything changes for you when you repent and believe. Not only is redemption bought by the blood of Christ, but your mind is open to the truth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit immediately descends into your soul and changes what you think. It illumines the scriptures, and it brings you hope, and it gives you understanding. This is, this is Jesus' point. This is what Mark is, is alluding to. Listen, if you are his, you will be his, and get this, you will get his truth. Doesn't mean it doesn't come with, without hard study. Doesn't mean that it doesn't come with hours of meditating of the scripture. Doesn't mean it doesn't come without prayer. And even fasting, trying to understand the word of God. But listen, his believers and his people will get the truth in the end. They will get it. The spirit will help you. It will guide you. You will take the tools of hermeneutics. You will unpack a text. And the spirit will say, yes, that's the word of God. It's the same Holy Spirit that when some cult or some ungodly person gets up there and preaches something contrary to the word of God, the Spirit will be doing jumping jacks, saying, that's not the Word of God. I mean, that's the joy of what the Lord has given us. The Holy Spirit illumines God's truth for us to get it, to understand it. I mean, you think about the kindness of God. I think he looks at us and he thinks that we're all rockheads. We are. And we need help. And the Holy Spirit comes and, he, and he's able to take the Word of God and, and implant it into our souls so which we can think and live by its truth. That is the kindness of God. 
Now, what's our takeaway from this? A couple of things I want you to I want you to know. For one, let me remind you again: when all seems lost, God is still sovereign. And what has been done in Jesus Christ, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, will all come to fruition where he will reign for eternity, period. Every promise of our Lord will come to pass, and he will reign for eternity. And because of that truth, we have hope. Why do we need to hear that? Because one of these days, people are going to be knocking on your door, stripping your Bibles, taking your kids, and throwing you in jail. And it's in that moment... The chain you remind yourself, Christ is still in control, and not all is lost. Two, he won't leave you in the dark. When it comes to his word, when it comes to the hope of the scriptures and where everything is, is heading according to the reign and the kingdom of God, he won't leave us in the dark. He's given you the Holy Spirit to understand this truth, to walk by his truth, to trust in his truth. I mean, what a simple passage this morning. And as a preacher, I'm here to, to give the same encouragement that no doubt it gave Jesus his followers of the day. That we need to be encouraged to continue our efforts to doing what the kingdom calls us to do. That we continue to throw seed that we continue to share Christ and proclaim Christ, that we continue to be the church and all that Christ has called us to do. I came across this quote from R.C. Sproul. Look to the screen. I think we can end with this. I quote him as saying, God is at work even now, building his kingdom, not with the entertainment, not with flash, not with all the pizzazz that we try to conjure up, but by obedience to his word, which is attended by his spirit, so that the kingdom grows and grows until the day when the Lord of the harvest comes for his fruit. End quote. Can we say amen to that? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that that not all is lost, even in the darkest of days in human history. Not all is lost. If anything, it shows your sovereignty and your goodness, the power of the resurrection, the fact that, that you will come again in your second coming and you will establish a kingdom that is eternal. The very fact that the church rests on your truth. It rests in you. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Father, I pray that you would give us boldness in our minds and hearts. Not only thinking about this truth, but in the way that we live, may we act like men. And may we encourage our women to, to be the godly women that you called them to be. And may we live boldly for the things of Christ. Father, I understand what, what that looks like. We all understand the hatred of the world and how it presses against it, how the enemy desires to snuff out the light and the power 
of Christ in his church. But Father, may we walk in unity and truth. And may we walk in the Holy Spirit and the power in which it brings and the illumination that it gives. And may we continue to proceed in such a way that gives you all the glory for everything. And so we submit to you in your authority and in your word. We submit to its truth. We don't care what the world does with it. Father, we believe it and obey it. And may we proclaim it in such a way, out of gentleness, out of compassion, but yet out of assurance and out of hope and out of peace. May you receive all the glory for those conversations that will happen, even this weekend as friends and family gather, celebrating the independence of a country that you have been so kind to start, and yet we see where it's at, and we need mercy, and we need repentance, and we need grace. We understand all those things, but may we proclaim the one who can give it, May Jesus be on our lips this week. And may we rejoice in his goodness and kindness to us. So to you alone be the, the honor and the glory and the praise. We pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and we'll, we'll close in song. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.